delighted to welcome listeners once again to the Mansour Voice podcast. We're back for our sixth episode of the series, which was launched earlier in 2020 by the Mansour Group. The podcasts are a forum to reflect on some of the big themes of the day. And today in part one, we will revisit COVID-19 and we will discuss the very promising news about vaccines and what they mean for the economy. And in part two, I'm delighted to say we'll be joined by Mr. Rami Adib, who's the general partner of the venture capital firm 984 Ventures. And we'll discuss with, with Rami um, the future of technology, investment, and some of the innovations uh, that will shape the global economy going forward. But first, and as with previous episodes, I'm delighted to say that we are joined once again by Mr. Mohammed Mansour, who is the chair of the Mansour Group. Hello, Mr. Mansour. Hi, Dom. How are you? I'm very well, sir. How are you? Very well, thanks very much. Um, Thank you. And in this episode, which we are calling Investing in Innovation, uh, we're going to discuss the biggest innovations of the day, both scientific and technological. And it's certainly been very inspiring to see so many breakthroughs in the fight against COVID-19 in such a short period of time. First, we had the results of the Pfizer, Moderna, and Oxford AstraZeneca trials, which were extremely promising. Then those vaccines began to receive regulatory approval. And at the time of recording in uh, middle of December 2020, uh, the Pfizer vaccine has been launched in the UK and is being rolled out in America this very week. Around the world, there are in fact now more than 50 vaccines in clinical trials and at least 87 more um, early stage projects, according to the New York Times. And Mr. Mansour, as you always say, you are a natural optimist. Have these results given you further hope for a way out of the pandemic? And does it change your outlook for the economy and for your strategy for the Mansour Group? It does, uh, absolutely, Dom. I mean, if you remember in the earlier podcasts uh, back in uh, April of 2020, things looked pretty grim. But now, definitely, uh, with the vaccines coming into fruition, uh, this is incredibly promising. And we see this in the markets today. Uh, the, the way the, the vaccines have been produced and, and hopefully will be able to well distribute it around the world will have, will have definitely a very positive impact on, on the economy and, of course, on the livelihood and the health care of people around the world. And I would like to take this opportunity to applaud the scientific community. Mm. Uh, these scientists have done an amazing job. They, they've proven the best learning, the best tools, and, hope, and also the best investors. Uh, and what they have accomplished is nothing short of being uh, extraordinary. And we, we are hoping that uh, from the distribution side, and as we speak today, uh, this is the first day that in the United States they'll start distribution around the different states uh, around the U.S. The thing is, how long will it take uh, to reach, uh, you know, to be able to give the 70% coverage uh, that will protect people's health care in the future? My, my prediction, and I'm no scientist or, or person, but I would say uh, I'm thinking maybe by second quarter, uh, things should start really looking uh, quite positive. And hopefully the third quarter of uh, 2021, 
uh, will be will give uh, definitely uh, uh, clear results. What does that mean for the world economy? Do you, do you see a significant um, improvement by Q2, Q3 of 2021? Definitely. I mean, uh, you know, like I said, uh, back back in uh, in the spring of uh, early spring of uh, 2020, things looked pretty grim. But now, uh, with the vaccine coming into fruition and hopefully the distribution side of it being very effective, uh, we can see this today in the markets. I mean, uh, the results today, the Nasdaq uh, this year is up about 38 percent. Uh, it was a very difficult year. Uh, the S&P maybe around 15% or so uh, years to date. So that, that's been uh, clear signs that uh, with the vaccine, co- vaccine coming in fruition, that that will have an effect on, on the global economy, global trade, people going out feeling good about uh, meeting people. And, and what we as human beings are, are uh, made of is, is interpersonal relations. So that, that in itself uh, will completely affect the global economy. Now, in different sectors, uh, we've seen, uh, as we, we invest heavily uh, at Man Capital, uh, specifically on the public side, and Rami, I know, will be talking more about 1984 and the type of investments he's gone in. We, we, were, we, we, we saw this early, and we, we, uh, the majority of our investments are in the digital sector around the world, uh, basically e-commerce, uh, and uh, this, these type of investments, which have done uh, exceptionally well for us. Uh, some of the companies, of course, that are based on, um, uh, you know, that benefited from the COVID side, uh, may, this may be a short uh, term for them. For example, we saw in the market uh, the IPO of DoorDash. I mean, that would be an example for me of a, of a company uh, that has benefited, although we are investors in DoorDash mm. through a fund, but with a small uh, uh, size ticket. But nevertheless, uh, when it IPO'd, it was a wow for everyone. And uh, the reason is that the company had uh, uh, just grown incredibly uh, by delivering food uh, to people that were home and needed to, uh, instead of being able to go to the restaurants. But if you take, on the other hand, another investor type of investment that we have done, which is quite comparable, uh, which is Uber. Uber, on the other hand, they did the right things. They cut costs uh, during the pandemic. Uh, They streamlined themselves. Uh, They got out of uh, certain sectors uh, like the helicopter type, Uber helicopter uh, and other things, and, and they reduced uh, uh, their their expenses. Now, if I would choose between both companies, I would choose more Uber for the long term because uh, Uber is not only based on Uber Eats, which is quite dependent on people ordering food, and the 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 income is divided just between two sources. It's divided between you know Uber and the driver, whereas DoorDash is divided into three sources. It's divided between DoorDash. The, the driver and the restaurant. So the income uh, is less. So of the two, definitely, I prefer uh, right now that the pandemic, I think, is, is hopefully uh, slowing down and, and maybe second quarter, third quarter, uh, things will come back to partially normality. Then uh, and thinking long term, as we always have, I prefer to stay with companies that are in the digital side of things, but also have a future uh, when things start getting back to normality. 
Great. Really interesting. Thank you for that, those insights. And before we wrap up this part of the episode, um, just conscious that since the last time we spoke, Mr. Mansour, um, we've had the presidential election in the United States. Um, uh, what's your sense at this stage of, 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 how we, of how that result is going to affect the markets going forward? Well, we were watching this very closely because if you go back four months ago, uh, people were, uh, I mean, the market was uh, watching this closely and they felt that if uh, a democratic, uh, you know, uh, clean sweep happened, meaning the, admin the, the president, the House and the Senate were uh, democratic, uh, then the markets were not looking at this very favorably. And then uh, when two weeks prior to November 3rd, when the election was set uh, and uh, President Trump started to narrow the gap uh, in the uh, polls, uh, the markets improved. And uh, uh, when the election results came out in you know, later middle of November or whatever, uh, then it was clear that the market was in favor of this. Why? Because there will not be one entity uh, whether it's the Republican Party or the Democratic Party that's in total control. It will not be a clean sweep. Had it been a clean sweep for the Democrats, uh, I believe the, the market saw that there will be definitely more regulations, increased taxation uh, in the medium term, uh, a significant boost into public spending uh, in the short term, and an increased level of financial stimulus, which the market was focused on. Now, uh, January 5th, we're going to have a very interesting election in the Senate uh, because the Republicans, uh, uh, you know, have two additional seats versus the Democrats. Uh, so if, if uh, the Democrats need to win those two seats that are in contention and they can possibly sw swing the, the Republican uh, Senate, swing the Senate by the existence of the vice presidents of the United States. But this is too too uh, close to call, and I don't think anybody, uh, I'm not a gambling man, so I can't really uh, uh, judge. But a, a Biden administration and a Republican Senate, I think the market has uh, seen this as a good outcome, and it will be a good outcome because uh, with a Biden presidency, I think we'll see more uh, visibility uh, on the international affairs, uh, perhaps also a more thoughtful approach to trade wars. I mean, we saw this uh, during the past two, three years, uh, trade war with China, the market would dip. And, right. and you know, there was so many um, uh, things that were happening uh, quickly that uh, affected the volatility. Um, so I think during the Biden administration, there will be sort of more balance in, 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 in the volatility of the market. Uh, and then the, hopefully uh, this vast division in the United States uh, and the effect of using Twitter uh, will, will slow down uh, the effect on the market. I think also there may be better action on, on climate change and, and uh, uh, world cooperation. I mean, we saw it, and if you remember in one of the earlier podcasts mm. when we mentioned that the world was very well prepared uh, during the, two, uh, the Great Recession of 2008-2009, all the central bank governors worked together to, to provide the stimulus. This time, when we had the COVID issue, 
every country, even every state, every governor of a state in the United States and every country was operating completely independently. I hope that we can have, you know, irregardless of whatever the political views are, uh, you know, that we can have a unified approach uh, when it comes to the betterment of uh, mankind and, and being able to work together for uh, humankind's uh, better situation around the world in the coming future. Without disclosing too many specifics, are you able to say how your public equity portfolio, which of course is managed by Man Capital, has performed this year? Well, as you know, Dom, uh, we have uh, had and maintained uh, a significant investments in the technology sector. Uh, even when I downsized my public portfolio back in February of 2020, uh, we stayed with uh, with good companies in, in a good sector, which we believed would be the, the, the tech and the digital sector. Uh, I can tell you that this has been the best year for us on the public sector investments uh, since the inception of Man Capital, strange as it may wow. seem. Yeah. Uh, but touch wood, we're, we're extremely happy. And uh, the results are, are, are uh, you know, as I mentioned, the Nasdaq is up thirty-eight uh, percent, and the S&P is up thirteen percent. Mm. Our public portfolio is north of fifty percent, wow. uh, and we say in Arabic, uh, "Mashallah." So to keep, uh, keep, I hope this keeps going on. But Indeed. this, as this, also not taken into consideration that we have invested early in Airbnb. Uh, uh, we've invested through a fund with Snowflake. Uh, mm. And we've invested, uh, and this, of course, uh, these have gone up uh, three times and Snowflake is 25 times. So uh, as you can see, in addition, why, why our, our, our stock picks have been good? Because we've stayed with great companies, the, the Microsofts, the, the Amazons, the Spotify, the Shopify, the Uber. Uh, and even when Uber, Uber had a, a, a lazy start, it, you know, drop, it never dropped below the IPO uh, price, but we stuck with it because uh, our policy has always been long-term. Uh, we're still in there. Uh, and uh, it, Uber has been up this year, uh, year to date, 77%. So uh, we're above definitely our entry price by a good margin. Uh, so uh, I feel very optimistic about our, our uh, share picks. Um, and of course, this brings me to uh, what we see uh, will be one of our great investments is uh, with uh, Rami Adib and 1984, which I think uh, you will be talking about uh, in, the, in the coming section. Indeed. Well, that's a great place, I think, to conclude this section of the podcast. Uh, so let's take a quick break now. And when we return, uh, Mr. Mansour and I will be joined by Rami Adib of 1984 Ventures. Welcome back to the Mansour Voice podcast and to Mr. Mohammed Mansour, chair of the Mansour Group. In part one, we discussed uh, the vaccine breakthroughs um, and, and talked about how they seem to represent a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and Mr. Mansour also shared his views of how the vaccines and also the re results of the US election uh, will shape 
the markets in 2021. Now, in the second part of the episode, we're going to continue the discussion around innovation and technology more broadly. And I'm delighted uh, to introduce to our listeners, Mr. Rami Adib, who is an entrepreneur, an investor, and the general partner at 1984 Ventures, uh, which is backed by the Mansour Group. Welcome, Rami. Uh, thank you, Dominique. Glad to be here and look forward to our conversation. Great. Me too. Well, Mr. Mansour, perhaps, perhaps you could start in, with, in this three-way conversation uh, by telling our listeners how you and Rami first met and came to be working together. Well, I, I started going to uh, Silicon Valley, uh, I'd say five or six years ago. And uh, I got so impressed with uh, things that how things were progressing there and, and how far, you know, from the technology side they had uh, moved forward. And, you know, when I would go and come back to London and then go again, I realized that we had to have a permanent uh, presence there uh, to to be ensured that we get to see the best uh, startups and opportunities to invest. Uh, because if you're not there 100% of the time, then possibly you would lose at, uh, you would lose on some uh, uh, opportune uh, investments. So I, we started looking around and asking around uh, for someone uh, that could uh, have a, an office for us there and have a presence for us there, and we in, would invest in, in venture capital. And the name of Rami uh, came to effect, and, and uh, uh, we had, uh, we, you know, we met for lunch. I noticed because Silicon Valley is a very small place. I mean, it's not, you know, it's like a, right. you know, like you'd say a, a small Chelsea or, or something like that. Mm. And at the main hotel where I was staying, and so Rami and I met, and I was, of course, very pleasantly surprised and 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 felt great that uh, Rami's origin was Egyptian. He'd been to Harvard and and he 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 had uh, he's done his uh, master's degree and and had created his own entity, uh, 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 which he sold to Yahoo and was uh, successful. Mm. But one thing that impressed me very much, but while we were sitting having lunch, everybody stopped to say hello to him, and he was a very mm. likable, uh, friendly, obviously very intelligent, well accomplished person. And I, I felt immediately, and I like to say about myself through the years that one thing that has helped me in, a, in my life is that I'm a fairly good judge of character. And, and Rami seemed to be the right person uh, to head 1984. So once, once this happened, this luncheon, uh, the discussion started. Uh, at the beginning, I have to admit, uh, he was reluctant. Rami was reluctant because I think he was, uh, hadn't decided what he wanted to do with, uh, you know, after this, having sold his business. But uh, I think we convinced him and we're very happy and honored to have him uh, running the 1984 uh, operation for us and, and of which he is doing an, an amazing job. Great. Well, Rami, uh, I, I should bring you in uh, on on that. Um, obviously, do 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 um, share your recollections of, of those initial meetings with us. But also, just just would be very interested in um, in your from your perspective um, how you how your career um, the path that you've taken in your, your career to date, and, and also how 1984 came to be founded. And you must let us know why the year 1984 specifically is referenced in the company name. Absolutely. And, and first, uh, thank you very much for the kind words, Mr. Mansoor. Uh, my background, I, I studied computer science uh, at Harvard and uh, graduated actually in 2000. 
Uh, and in 1999, in my senior year, uh, I interned at Microsoft. And that was the rite of passage. Uh, as a computer science uh, graduate, Microsoft was the top internship. And, and my plan was to join Microsoft full-time after graduating. Uh, but very similar to Mr. Mansour, I heard about Silicon Valley. A lot of my fellow students, seniors, were like, Rami, you can't go work at Microsoft. You got to go to Silicon Valley and join a startup. Um, and so I... Uh, Heard of a startup here that was very successful called Tell Me. Uh, they came to recruit at Harvard. I applied. Uh, I came out here and I visited Silicon Valley uh, and I totally fell in love. And I've been here for the past 20 years, both as an entrepreneur and as an investor. Uh, so I started my career at Tell Me uh, as a software engineer. Uh, it was an enterprise company. It was acquired by Microsoft for $800 million a few years later. Um, and I started a company called Snippet, which was acquired uh, by Yahoo. And then I started my investing career uh, at Kosla Ventures, uh, working with a, a very well-known uh, venture capitalist here called Vinod Kosla on a number of investments like Square and GroupMe and, and, and Storify. Um, and uh, really, the story of uh, getting started with, with 1984 Ventures, uh, pretty much uh, as Mr. Mansour said, I had sold my company to, to Yahoo, and I mm. worked at Yahoo with Marissa Meyer for a couple of years. Um, and I had left and was getting ready to, to do what's next. And I had flirted with the idea of starting my own venture capital fund versus join other VC funds. And I wasn't sure which path to take. And I remember sitting down with Mr. Mansour. Uh, and, uh, and, and he told me something that was very insightful. Um, he said, Rami, there's all this. I have these businesses across the globe. And I'm seeing this disruption from technology that's starting here in the Valley. And I want to be here. I want to invest in these startups at their infancy, take their learnings, and apply it to my businesses so they are not antiquated. And immediately, that word antiquated struck with me. Uh, and uh, that's how really 1984 Ventures was born. Uh, we're a VC fund focused on using software to upend large antiquated industries. Pretty much the thesis that Mr. Mansour uh, highlighted uh, and helped us land. Um, it has been a wonderful uh, journey for the past uh, three years. Uh, now, the name 1984 Ventures, um, so ultimately we invest in companies uh, that are small startups that are going up against very large incumbents. And there's perhaps no example more iconic for a startup going up against a large incumbent than Apple going up against IBM in 1984. Mm. Back then, IBM had near dominance on the personal computer space. But Apple really wanted to make a dent on that market. Um, and they launched this iconic commercial uh, called 1984 about how the Apple computers will make sure 1984 isn't like 1984, the George Orwell book. Uh, that commercial was considered to be sort of the birthplace of modern computing. Uh, and uh, we're, we were excited to, to be named after the year and to have managed to secure the trademark for 1984 in venture capital. Now the, people often talk about investing in tech or having exposure to, to, to technology and tech stocks, but clearly the tech space is not homogenous. Um, so Rami, I wonder if I could just, just turn to you first, which uh, just would be curious as to which technology sectors, which types of businesses you're focusing most of your time on um, and and why? And also within that, what criteria are most important to you when considering an investment in a startup? 
so in terms of sectors, we, we really like uh, e-commerce, supply chain, uh, prop tech and fintech, and digital health. Uh, these are the high-level uh, sectors that we have been focused in, on for the past three years. Uh, but ultimately, uh, we like to think of ourselves as, as sort of thesis-driven more than sector-driven. Um, and so we're constantly looking for theses for changes in consumer behavior, like the adoption of e-commerce or the adoption of mobile or telemedicine, uh, and invest around those, uh, those changes. Our criteria is simple. We invest in team, market, product, in that order. In seed, you always start with the team. Mm. Uh, and from there on, you fall on with the market. And then from there on, we look for product. Because a strong team will iterate and pivot until they find uh, sort of success within a particular market. And when it comes to a founder team, we're always looking for that marriage between industry expertise and software. Many of these businesses we invest in, there is a team of two co-founders, uh, one co-founder that comes from the industry, say the groceries industry, and they have deep exper expertise. They understand the supply chain. They understand where the dollars are buried. And then they team up with a CTO. And the CTO might be someone who worked at Uber or worked at Microsoft or worked at Google. And they have a strong understanding of how to build and scale and iterate through a strong software offering. And that pairing is sort of the ideal team combination that we look for. And I wonder, um, maybe, I, maybe I can direct this question, Mr. Mansour, your way. I, I, I wonder what sort of impact COVID-19 has had and, um, uh, and, and, and how maybe the pandemic has, has, has evolved your thinking and Rami's thinking in this sort of space. I, I definitely agree with Rami. I mean, and uh, if I just could add one more obser observation mm. uh, to what Rami has said is that technology has been uh, stress tested like never before this year. And I truly believe that we're at the cusp of a new cycle of disruption. Uh, uh, and we have to be on top of things and there will be a, a rapid transformation that will continue. And that's what, that was one of the reasons that when we thought of, uh, you know, starting uh, and getting into uh, 1984, uh, three years ago, that was feeling that there is a disruption in the world and things will change and that we need to be a part of it. Uh, so we're going through a very exciting and challenging time. Uh, and the challenge for long-term investors like ourselves is, is to see what are the trends in the short term and what are the trends in the long term and permanent shifts, which is what uh, we are doing. And being, being uh, as an investor in 1984 uh, will, will definitely help us uh, uh, see, see uh, other opportunities in the future. Rami, how, um, how many companies are in the portfolio at the moment? And um, as maybe one metric of success, um, but do share others if you can, I wonder how many of those businesses in the portfolio have reached second or even third stage funding rounds? Yeah, we have invested um, in exactly 40 companies to date. Uh, and of these, and we typically invest in the serious seed, uh, which is the very first right. or maybe second institutional check into the business. And from these 40 companies, uh, 21 have raised subsequent rounds to date, uh, which is typically a Series A. And, and then six have raised a, a Series B. We typically invest between you know, 
five and fifteen million dollar valuation, and then the Series B um, is typically between hundred and fifty and two hundred million dollar in valuation. We have seen these businesses grow um, in valuation, you know, roughly ten fifteen x since we've been. And, and and I appreciate this probably varies. Well, I'm sure it varies from business to business, but but in general, how long do you aim to to hold a stake in a portfolio company before? Uh, you exit and also during that time i wonder Rami, if you could talk a bit about how involved you and your colleagues get in the kind of day-to-day running of the portfolio companies uh, you, you know one of my favorite uh w- w- one of my favorite uh memories from that first conversation i had with mr mansoor is when he told me uh we're patient capital we know things will go up and down and and we will be with you when it goes up and when it goes down uh, and I took that same learning uh, and really applied to our own investment philosophy. So we are pretty patient capital. Um, and we also recognize that our returns are driven by the magnitude of success as opposed to the number of successes. Uh, what that means is uh, many companies will exit, uh, but it's less returns are in venture capital are driven less by how many of these companies exit, but rather that one or two real successes, will they exit at you know, half a billion dollars or $5 billion or $20 billion valuation? Because that's where seed returns you know, are truly magnified. Uh, so we do intend to hold typically until a merger and acquisition or until an IPO. At the same time, companies are staying private longer right now, in part mm-hmm. due to the maturity and the liquidity of the late stage private markets. Um, and so from our vantage point as shareholders, you know, if we see a company growth trajectory has started to slow down, we might look for opportunities to partially exit in the Series E. Or this. Now to the second part of your question, uh, sort of how we get involved in the day-to-day of running, uh, you know, ultimately we're entrepreneurs ourselves. Uh, and so we are a team of operators and we focus on recruiting, fundraising, and founder therapy. Uh, these are the three areas where we spend most of our time. Uh, recruiting is the highest leverage action an investor can take. And fundraising is something that we have a lot of experience with. And then last, as a team of founders, uh, we know that being a founder can be a very lonely and rather stressful job. Um, and we have been there before. And so we often find ourselves providing sort of a much needed founder therapy to our entrepreneurs. Okay. And um, I, I asked a version of this question to Mr. Mansour earlier, Rami, I wonder if, if you if you can sort of give us your perspective on how COVID nineteen you think has impacted the portfolio, and um, uh, you know, uh, and whether it's it's had any effect on your investment strategy at all. Yes, uh, I would say you know, as investors in technology, it has impacted us very positively. Uh, almost three quarters of our companies have actually seen increased demand uh, as a result of the pandemic. Uh, whether it's in e-commerce, in supply chain, or in uh, telemedicine or digital health in general. Uh, but also, as Mr. Mansour often says, is this is a K-shaped recovery. And so the companies that are doing well are doing really well. And then the, the companies struggle, truly struggle. Uh, and uh, and uh, in terms of how it affects our investment strategy, I would say... It's, we don't necessarily, we are not necessarily investing in any new sector or any new thesis as a result of the pandemic, but we are more steadfast in our thesis to focus on nimble entrepreneurs. 
right? This time, pandemic more than you know more than any uh, other before has shown us that a strong team. Uh, you know, I would I would reference Uber uh, that that Mr. Mansour alluded to earlier. A strong team that is able to to navigate uh, and uh, a crisis um, is one that truly shines, uh, and one that is less nimble really suffers. And um, maybe if I can direct this question to to, to both of you, uh, gentlemen, um, uh, I wonder what kinds of businesses um, generally you think will win out. I know Rami, you've talked a bit about uh, already about the importance of, of of picking the right people or, or, or identifying strong teams. I don't know if you can sort of maybe expand on that a bit. And also, Mr. Mansour, if you can share your thoughts in terms of the sorts of startups that, that in your experience, are successful. So obviously, you know, in this pandemic, digital wins, telemedicine wins, remote work wins, automation uh, enablement. Uh, you know, I think I, I saw in, like an, an internet meme uh, uh, that said, you know, about large enterprises. And the meme was uh, in the form of a multi-choice question. Who led uh, the digital transformation in your organization? You know, answer A, CEO, answer B, CTO, and answer C, you know, head of research, and answer D, COVID-19. And it's obviously COVID-19, right? That is ultimately what led to digital transformation. Um, and so that is sort of the, 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 the winners. But again, 2020 was really a celebration of agility, right? Mm. Those uh, teams and startups that were nimble and able to navigate through the crisis, uh, they were very successful, um, even when they were in sectors that were less, you know, that, that were less frothy and vice versa. And I'll give you a couple of examples. You know, this year was the year of e-commerce. Most e-commerce did well, but many e-commerce startups actually, uh, in the U S may have had only one supplier and that supplier may have been shut down during the pandemic. So we have seen e-commerce businesses that were unable to navigate the crisis and secure alternative suppliers really struggle even though generally e-commerce did incredibly well. On the flip side, you know, this pandemic was uh, obviously helps all software companies, but we have seen software companies like SAP struggle. And SAP struggled because they have been so wedded to their on-premise software model and they have not embraced the cloud. And this year, as the world moved into remote work, the cloud became more important than ever. So really this was a, this is a time for, you know, agility, we often say, you know, it's not the strongest that sur who survives, it's the fittest. Uh, and this year uh, was a great example. Mansour, do, do you have any, any additional thoughts? I, I totally uh, agree with uh, Rami. Uh, agility and, and being able to fight uh, headwinds. And, and uh, if, if I can set a few examples, uh, like, for example, Airbnb. Mm -hmm. Airbnb. Uh, as we well know, uh, IPO'd and was listed uh, just a few days ago. And uh, it showed, it got three times uh, the initial IPO range where it set. I mean, it was set uh, at the beginning at $44 to $50 uh, range. Uh, it's hovering today around $135. Uh, and it's around five times, 5x of the value where the companies uh, raised, raised capital back in April 2020. So what does this say? It, it, it reflects the market's optimism uh, around economic recovery after the successful development of the vaccine. Uh, so people see Airbnb uh, as a very resilient company, uh, well-structured. For example, during the pandemic, uh, they managed, they did the right decisions, for example, and this, we as operator, business operators, we understand this. 
uh, they cut they cut costs, they cut excessive cost structure. Uh, they they unscaled the uh, unprofitable. Uh, they scaled down the unprofitable uh, initiatives. Is they reduced their workforce by twenty five percent. They showed a good profitability in the third quarter, which of course uh, was the summertime when everybody was going out and traveling. We don't expect the fourth quarter to be the same. Uh, so this is one 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 resilient company. Uh, Uber is the same. Uber we saw. Uh, initi initiative that Uber uh, took uh, by uh, focusing primarily on its core businesses and uh, uh, looking at the share price. Uh, and as I mentioned, the share price went up 77% uh, year to date. Mm. Uh, of course, from an all-time low, which was around the, hovering around the 20s. But Uber today, when they exited Uber Air, which is not, which is not really a core business of theirs, uh, when they are exiting the autonomous driving uh, venture, um, uh, and it's now deconsolidating, um, and they own 25% of Aurora, the joint venture. Sh this shows that uh, although the, the, the markets today, the valuations are up, but I think uh, it's justified. So what is the outlook for the future? Uh, we would say 2021 should be a relatively good year. Uh, that uh, if you are in the right sector, which is tech or digital related, uh, and you are with a with a solid or a great company uh, that is long term, then um, I think the returns uh, will be on the upside, regardless of the volatility. And you have a few months down on whatever one should stick it out. I mean, Mr. Mansour Rami. I mean, I, I could keep talking for. Uh, for, for, for hours, it's fascinating to, to, to hear your thoughts, but I'm conscious of, of time and, and uh, we probably should, should wrap things up there. But absolutely fascinating topic and, and certainly one we should return to. And hopefully, Rami, uh, we can welcome you back to the podcast in 2021 and, and, and see how the portfolio is performing. Um, so let me thank you, first of all, Mr. Mansour, once again for joining us uh, for the Mansour Voice podcast. Um, and also... A very special thank you to our special guest, Rami Adib, uh, for joining us too. Thank you both. Thank you, Dom. It's always great to to have these uh, very interesting discussions. And thank you, Rami, for uh, joining us this time. Thank you, Dominique. And thank you, Mr. Mansouri. It was a real pleasure. Oh, so we'll return uh, in the next few weeks with another episode. Um, I think we are going to take a, a closer look at some of the Mansour Group's very extensive charitable activities, uh, which certainly have expanded significantly during the pandemic. Um, but in the meantime, do make sure to subscribe on Apple, on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And in the meantime, and as always, to, your, to you and your family, stay safe and well. <laughs>